Welcome to a new episode of the Oh My Career Goodness podcast. I'm your host, Hamza Islam. My guest this week is Kevin Patel, who is a climate change activist and the founder of One Up Action International, an organization that looks to empower and support marginalized youth by providing them resources needed to be change makers. Kevin is one of many people that wants to live in a world where regardless of a person's background, that they are capable of creating a society that's better for everyone. And I'm super excited to be talking to him. He is obviously, he has had his personal battles, especially with the climate change activism, but no matter the obstacles, he has always found a way to overcome those obstacles and he is not going to let anything stop him. I'm so proud of him and for and what he has done to get and all the work he has done to get to where he is today. And as a fellow South Asian, it is so cool to see a South Asian or another South Asian do amazing things. So I'm extremely excited for this episode or this interview. And I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Kevin Patel. Kevin Patel, welcome to the Oh My Curry Goodness podcast. Thank you for having me. Before we start, I have to say how cool this is to be able to talk to you because just a little bit of background for our audiences, Kevin and I are South Asian. I know you have Indian background and my parents are from Bangladesh, but mm -hmm. nevertheless, I think anytime I get the chance to talk to someone who in a way looks like me um, is really cool. And I know for you, it's it's one of those things where it's great to have support. It's great to have friends who believe in you and your passion project and or whatever mm -hmm. it is you're doing. But when you have people who look like you that are showing support, it really feels different. It almost feels like you're unstoppable in a way. It truly does, honestly. And I think that's the power of like, not only Daisies or South Asians, right? But, you know, brown people. And I think when, um, you know, doing this work, I don't see many of us in this work. So it's just really cool to be interacting with you. And, you know, hopefully we get more of our brothers and sisters involved in um, not only this work, but many other different fields that we're usually not represented in, right? right. Um, so it's definitely um, an honor to be here and be to be speaking to you today. Thank you so much. And let's talk right. Uh, let's go straight into your activism because everyone who's involved in activism has a has a start. Everyone has a journey, and oftentimes that journey can be heartbreaking. It can be in a very tough situation. And honestly, I'm so sorry. And this is where I feel I'm, I'm so sorry for you about what you had to get to go through to get to where you are today. You are a climate change activist and a lot of it came comes down to the fact that when you grew up or when you, um, as you grew up, you were diagnosed with an irregular heartbeat because of the conditions you were living in. And so mm -hmm. if you kind of, if you were to go back do you feel that was the moment that really led you to do climate change? Was there anything else you wanted to do? And secondly, given that, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is a this is a permanent issue. Like this is something that will be affecting you for the rest of your life. So what is it like living with that disease, given that this is now going to be part of your life going forward? Yeah, I'll get started with, you know, if this was something that I got started with, you know, or you know, it was the moment that I got started with climate activism. I will have to say no, you know, both my parents are immigrants from India. And I think, um, you know, and their parents are, their background is farmers, you know. Um, 
And so uh, my parents essentially are climate migrants coming from India, given that the farming there is just not a livable thing anymore. Um, and, um, you know, my father and my mother both taught me practices when I was a very young, you know, young uh, child uh, uh, on the ways in which, like, we can carry our cultural heritage, our cultural identity of who we are and what we are. Um, and, and that being farmers, right? Um, and, um, and and so at a very young age, I was uh, instilled with that. I, was ne I never grew up with a traditional, you know, teenager or, or, or you know, regular child's like um, kind of uh, childhood, right? I never had a regular childhood. Um, many people would play video games where I, whereas I was reading books and going ahead and, um, you know, thinking about like questions around like plants and animals and all these other things. And, and so my very early passions was quite awkward and quite weird given that my parents had taught <laughs> me a lot of these knowledges of like farming practices and that kind of filled my head with a lot of ideas um and i think that really kind of sparked my interest in the plant world and when i was very very young i really wanted to become a botanist and that was what i stuck with like oh i always told my parents i was like oh i'm gonna become a botanist i love i love plants you know and i think that was because my dad was teaching me how to grow our own food in our own backyard mm -hmm. and so like the very first issue that i got got involved with is obviously food insecurity food deserts and food security uh in the sense in the essence of like for marginalized communities um given that my community of south la or south central los angeles is a food desert and so um you know i think out of the bat like you know from my father's teachings and from my mother's teachings taking that knowledge and really kind of tackling this issue of food deserts and food insecurity and um, you know, uh, the the broader issue of like how we have inaccessibility to non-GMO organic vegan options, whereas, you know, wealthier communities had the access. They had access not only to that, but many more resources than my community or surrounding communities. And so I think that's the very first issue that kind of got led me into not only climate activism, but environmentalism. Um, and I think my, in, in essence, you know, all Daisy families um, or, you know, all brown families are sustainable in some ways. You know, we love reusing our gardens. I'm sure you have stories uh, of your parents, you know, storing the plastic bags, every plastic bag somewhere, you know, or, right. or um, reusing the cookie cans for something else or putting yogurt in, um, you know, in, a, in another container that was reused from another thing or you know just like those type of things uh, sustainability is in the mindset of um you know south asians and brown people um and so uh uh and you know i think this from those practices and from those teaching from my parents kind of really understood like hey i can really take this knowledge and use it and so the very first issue that i got involved with was you know again food Food, um, food justice and really kind of teaching my peers that it, there are there are other ways, other methods of securing healthier foods. And one way is to grow our own food and another way is to advocate for it. So I think that's, uh, you know, began my activism really in sixth grade, uh, teaching about food injustice and um, growing our own food um, with about 50, 60 um, peers of mine, students, right? Um, and really kind of seeing that, you know, yes, there's fast food chains uh, restaurants like one block away from us but 
there's more to that, you know. Um, so I really credit my parents in teaching me, you know, how how to grow my own food, how to, you know, um, and, and all these other sustainability practices. I have to give it to my parents because without them, I would have never been um, who I am or what I know about, you know, the climate, about sustainability or these things that we don't even consider sustainability, but it's just a habit, something that we do, right? Um, inherently sustainable. Um, and so, yeah, my parents are the ones that led me to be, you know, that spark of kind of leading into this big thing of climate activism. Um, unfortunately, you know, my journey started in sixth grade, but first semester was about food injustice, food insecurity in this one issue. And then se uh, second semester of my sixth grade year, I was directly impacted by the irregular heartbeat. So getting into that question of the irregular heartbeat, you know, I was in another hospital for a better part of my sixth, seventh and eighth grade years. And until my doctor, my cardiologist said, no, we're just going to do a procedure um, to, you know, make sure that I don't come back in and out of the hospital, right? Um, I took that procedure uh, in eighth grade. And, but now, um, you know, whereas, you know, you or anyone else might have like a heartbeat of 90, per, you know, 90 beats per minute, um, I'm like, you know, 112, 120, you know, beats per minute. So I do have a irregular heartbeat still to this day and I just have to live with it. Um, and it is something that, you know, um, you know, kind of brought a lot of the fears uh, into me of like, why me? You know, I was a kid that was also playing sports, you know, did a lot of running and stuff like that. Cricket is a big game in <laughs> India. Uh, South Asians, my dad was teaching me outdoors, so playing cricket and doing whatever we can, you know. Um, and it, Amateur cricket, not the professional, trust me, because I ain't a professional. Um, but, it, you know, those, I was, you know, going from that to just being in and out of the hospital was scary. You know, it's like, it's something, your life changes in a matter of minutes. And um, you have to adapt fast and really kind of ask your questions, why is this happening? What is happening? Um, and I kind of knew that, you know, the community that I'm living in is not our not only being, uh, you know, impacted, sorry, uh, impacted by multiple issues or injustices, as I call them, you know, it's like, um, we're not only a sacrifice zone, we are a marginalized and sacrifice zone. And in the essence that, you know, com uh, you know, these policies, governments and corporations come into our communities and uh, extract as much as resources and labor and whatnot, you you know, oil, everything from our community, but there's no investment in our community and surrounding communities. And that's what leaves us um, with these injustices or uh, overlap, you know, overlaying issues. Um, and so at a very young age, when that happened, you know, second semester of sixth year, when I was affected, I kind of like asked my question, like, why am I getting this? You know, I go from being healthy one minute to kind of being in and out of the hospital the other minute, you know? And so um, I kind of put two and two together of like air pollution and smog pollution is what caused it and really kind of consulted with my doctors and like saying like they're, they're seeing an increasing number of asthma and all these other diseases and whatnot coming in. Um, and so it just kind of accredited to the air and smog pollution that was happening near and, um, you know, not only Los Angeles, but in my community, given that we live close to freeways, factories, and even oil drilling sites. Um, and so, um, and, and now 
Luckily, the oil drilling sites uh, in South LA are all closed up thanks to the advocacy and uh, activism that has been taking place for such a long time. But I think it's a true, you know, kind of true calling and seeing how other communities surrounding like Wilmington and um, outward still are going through that. And it's a daily reality to wake up to. It's like, if you just to if you were to go outside and really look at the issues that are happening in your community, you can really kind of see that there are multiple issues. There's not just one issue. Um, even if those issues are not impacting you, they're impacting your community members. And so um, ever since then, I've been advocating. Um, so uh, yeah, hopefully that answered your second question. I was mainly kind of touching upon my story of like how I really got involved with activism and where I'm at now, you know. I appreciate what you said because I think it's it's a it's a journey that you took. It's it's one of inspire it's an inspiring journey because of the fact that you're you are trying to give a voice to marginalized communities, but with that unfortunate circumstance that you now have to live through permanently. And I want to touch before we talk more about your activism. I'm sure you meet a lot of people that are climate change deniers. They'll say, Kevin, climate change is fake. Climate change is not real. Climate change is not affecting me. Why should I care? And as someone who has been diagnosed with an irregular heartbeat and has been mm-hmm. outspoken on how different communities, marginalized communities, aren't usually are affected the most when it comes to climate change, how difficult is it to have a conversation with that person? Because it's th- this is personal to you. And it almost feels like you're offensive, you're offended by it, but to them, it, they think of it as like a different way. So how hard is it to have those conversations? You know, for me, it, you know, I think I'm asked this question quite a lot and um, it's not a difficult one. You know, I think it's just a human one. Uh, it's a human question of like, how can you relate to them and their issues? Hmm. You know, it, it's uh, something of like, why should they care about what I'm going through when they're going through some other issue or some other problem. And so I think I, I relate to them in an emotional way in, in the sense of asking them questions of why they don't believe in climate change. Um, why do they not believe in the science, right? Um, and then I also kind of empathize, you know, they have a family, I empathize with them or, or you know, uh, in the sense of they have, if they have kids or they have external family like aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, you know, um, and just kind of thinking about like, well, what about your brother? You know, what about your sister? What about your your children? What about you know your family, the next generation? You know, who's going to have to see a world without polar bears or see a world without you know um, the you know the Amazon rainforest or see, see a world? You know, just kind of coming up with these these questions of you know what. What do you, what world would you want to leave behind for your kids? One that is completely destroyed or one that is prosperous and it works for everyone. That is, there is some justice um, for those communities who have been harmed historically, but there's justice overall, right? Equity, uh, equality. And, um, you know, uh, I think that the world that we imagine, I think that's some of the conversations that I usually have. And, you know, there's an interesting conversation that I had with a gentleman who just outrightly did not believe in climate change. I sat with him and just kind of heard his concerns, you know, heard his point of view first before I interjected with my point of view and really kind of um, had this conversation that was really eye-opening to see like where he's coming from. And, um, you know, some other times 
it's more of like it's not affecting them a lot of the times a lot of the climate deniers they always are like well it's not affecting me why should i care right um i don't believe in this it's not it's not happening to me i don't see it um and so i think it's just about sitting down with that person and making them realize that it's affecting people all around the world while also it's like if it's not affecting you now it will affect your grandkids or your kids or you know and um, the, their family that they leave behind. And so I think they have a sense of duty to kind of do something about it or be outspoken about it. And I, I have been able to change some mindsets um, in believing in climate change and, and doing something about it, even if it's muta school, you know, it's like even if they're utilizing their voice or doing something, signing a petition or something like that, it's that's the, that's a first step, right? And um, in acting and, and doing something. And so um, that's, that has kind of been very more powerful just having the conversation really um you know emotionally talking to them of like what you know what issues are you facing what issues do you care about and then kind of connecting them with climate change little by little um and and making that connection um so i i don't think it's a difficult one i think it's just more of uh talking to them and seeing what issues they're facing now it's a whole different story when you're talking about those who are you know believing in in conspiracy theories and um right wing you know kind of media and mass media and whatnot that's a whole different story i've only had to deal with you know conservatives that you know are in are more you know the traditional conservatives um and um there are a lot of people who are conservative that do believe in climate change and i think um just talking to them and and you know seeing like hey you have to be more bold in in the in your own you know in your community and, and the people you surround yourself with to be outspoken on these issues even if it's not affecting you now it will affect your kids or grandkids or your family members right um, um so yeah i thank god i haven't had to deal with the far far you know right <laughs> or extremes um but it has been one like I have had those conversations with deniers and um, you'd be surprised how, mo how many of them you can actually, you know, make them understand where you're coming from. Only if you're open to having those conversations. I want to bring the conversation back to identity because yeah. you were talking, you have been very outspoken about how when you first started being involved in climate change activism, that you didn't see a lot of people who looked like you. And I was mm -hmm. thinking about that for a very long time. I thought, well, climate change activism is a lot like a South Asian wedding in the fact that there are <laughs> a million people. And I was confused by that. I was like, what does Kevin mean by that? And then obviously we have met many times before this podcast. And I think it really goes, goes back to what it means to be South Asian and what it means to be Desi. And I want to kind of bring that question back. So for you, what does it mean to be South Asian? What does it mean to be Desi? How how much does your identity play a part in your activism and in your life going forward? Yeah, I think it plays a huge part, right? You know, I'm a son of an immigrant. Um, I'm um, a, you know, a one who's been affected by, um, by climate change. Um, and, you know, also the color of my skin, you know, it's, it's much darker than most traditional um, activists in this who are amplified. And so it's, it's a, both a privilege um, also, you know, a burden in the sense that um, 
I understand that there, there are not that many of us there, you know, and, um, and I call it a burden is that we, you know, I think there needs to be more people who, who look like us um, in, you know, not just brown people or daisy people, right? I mean, everyone, black, indigenous people of color um, who have darker skin um, uh, to be involved in this issue because traditional media and, um, and, and I'll get back to my identity, but I just want to talk about this a little bit tangently in the sense that traditional media usually doesn't, you know, um, amplify or platform those who have darker skin. And so it's kind of been a burden on me, you know, being, um, trying to bring in more voices, not just from the South Asian community, but from all communities who are being affected by the climate crisis to be, you know, highlight their voices, highlight their stories, highlight their experiences, um, and highlight their communities at the end of the day, right? Because um, it's not just them that's being affected by climate change, it's their communities and the places that they grew up, the places that they love. And I know that's the same thing for me. It's like, I I was not the only one that was affected. It was my community, the people that I love, the people that I looked up to, and I wanted to do something for them. Um, but going to my, um, you know, go, really going back to my, my identity as a South Asian, I think um, it's something that, you know, for the future, I think, and even now, it's something that I'm proud of. You know, I'm proud to be South Asian. I'm proud to, um, you know, represent the South Asian American community um, and Indian community, the Desi community in general, and really be an advocate for them to, you know, kind of utilize their voices as well in every spaces that we're in, you know, when we're really huge in the tech industry, we're really huge in the motel and hospitality industry. And so I think um, just kind of, you know, talking to um, our community members, we're really able to kind of cause a domino effect of like them wanting to actually speak out and be outspoken on um, on these issues, right? And I think I also carry my identity, uh, you know, again, without me being South Asian, I would have never been in this, you know, this space of like, uh, of, you know, doing activism in the first place. So I think I credit my identity with that in, in, the sen in some sense. Um, I don't know, it's weird to say that, but no. um, it's just like, you know, my parents, again, kind of going back to my parents and how they, you know, kind of taught me uh, not only to be sustainable, but um, to be, a, you know, to grow on food and um, and I think, yeah, a lot of the knowledge that I get is from my parents. So I'm I'm proud to be South Asian American and, um, you know, first generation uh, American um, and, a, you know, a son of immigrants. Um, and I usually don't say that, you know, I think this is the first time I'm kind of saying that, but I think it's something that needs to be said, you know, a lot of the times we want to assimilate to, you know, th this, um, the American society or this socially constructed society of like what we are meant to be or what we are are to are to be and I think right currently I'm kind of awakening to the fact that you know um I need to kind of make that connection again with my community and that community being um you know my uh Desi and my uh, South Asian community and so I'm still making those connections and hopefully in the future um I have much more of a tie to not only my cultural identity by my cultural heritage in general I honestly applaud you for being able to say how proud you are of, be, of being South Asian because oftentimes like you said it's very easy to just kind of give up who you are as a person 
And I understand yeah. that at the end of the day, it's one of those situations where it's like, do I, because we are growing up in an, in a environment where people, where there are more people who don't look like us, it's so easy yeah. to be able to just say, let me give up some of who I am to just to be someone I'm not. And it's almost like a short term yeah. thing rather than a long-term thing. And that's why I think being able to talk to people who are South Asian, it's, it's, it's weird because we can be the worst enemy or our own worst enemies, but we can also be our best allies. And there you go. <laughs> I, I also say, no, go ahead. Man. I was just going to say, like, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's also like the, the, the names that we choose for ourselves, right? Like my brother, he changed his name from a cultural heritage standpoint of like, you know, having a, um, um, you know, a, a name that is tied to our culture to one that was more Americanized. Um, and I think my name, Kevin, you know, it's an Anglo name. It's not a, a, a Desi or South Asian name. You know, I could have been easily called Raj Om or Shiv or, you know, one of these traditional cultural names that we yeah. have for ourselves. But, we, you know, I think we've lost that because we, we assimilate to, you know, what our, the surroundings or the environment that we're in. And I think something, and that's, that's also something that I'm reckoning with is that, you know, that is something that I have lost, but I am making that connection because there's ways of saying Kevin in, in Hindi and Gujarati and whatnot <laughs> um, in our languages. Right. Um, um, but I think that's something that I'm kind of re kind of, reckoning with and like really kind of seeing how cultural identity cultural heritage and all of these really are interconnected and how i can best you know kind of get rid of and dismantle or um you know these these notions of who i'm supposed to be or what i'm supposed to be with my cultural identity being put to the side because i think um you know at the, at the end of the day i can't do that you know um, i have to have my identity be a part of who i am and you know what I love to do um and so it's been a it's been a journey um it's one that I'm still learning and I'm learning a lot of things and um it's going to be quite interesting to say the least and I'm sure a lot of other people are coming to that realization now it's just like sitting down and saying like okay well how's my name connected to my cultural identity cultural heritage and why was I assimilated to have this name right um and um, I think I've had those conversations with a lot of my Desi or South Asian friends who are in the movement as well, in the climate movement or other movements. There are other movements that Desi is a part of, which is amazing. Um, and so just having those conversations with them has been quite interesting and eye-opening, to say the least. As an activist, it is one of the most dangerous fields Mm -hmm. be a part of and I know there are a lot of young people who are passionate about a certain issue and the higher or I wouldn't say the higher but the more passionate you are you unfortunately meet people who intend to harm you in a way and mm -hmm. kind of like how you talked about how you will meet people who will say climate change is fake or hopefully not like conspiracy theories or anything <laughs> but we you are someone that is a human being at the end of the day you are not just a climate change activist, but you are a brother, you're a friend, you're a son to make to many people. And one of the scariest things that you told me was that you often face death threats because of your work in activism. And mm -hmm. you will always live in a world where people are going to say things and it's about them, but not about you. And it's very easy to just say, you know what, they're just an obstacle, but 
when you get to that extreme, it is so hard to be able to focus because ultimately this is not just going to impact you, but it's going to impact so many people around you. And I would love to know how you're able to keep going, almost like what what's your why, despite all the stuff that you're receiving. And is there ever a moment where either you or your parents or anyone that just says, hey, Kevin, we love what you're doing, but you need to shut this down <laughs> because your life is more important than anything else. Yeah, of course. That, I don't know how I'll answer that question. You know, it's something that is like, it's a constant thing, right? Um, I think one of the things that I, um, you know, I always try to keep my, the privacy is such a huge thing for me and my family. You know, it's like, I'm always shielding my, both my parents and obviously I use them because they're part of my story, right? But I don't give out information of who they are. Um, nor do I, you know, tell people that I usually have a brother, you know, it's, it's a shock to people in the movement as well as other people. Oh, like Kevin has a brother. Um, but, you know, just shielding my family and my friends, you know, my close relatives um, from, from the work that I do and protecting them. Because yes, it, it is something that, you know, I've received multiple death threats and threats in general. Um, but I think, you know, you know, having my, you know, thinking about my family and protecting them is always first. Um, and um, yeah, I've, I've shielded them from, you know, from just all of that. I mean, we had, you know, my parents and I, and um, as along with my brother have had conversations of like, you know, just how to, you know, protect myself and how to make sure that, you know, I'm surrounded with good people and not to give away my location and stuff like that, or whenever I'm doing an event or whatnot in person, because it is quite scary. Um, um, and I think another thing is like, why, why do I continue if I receive all these like pushback and death threats and, and threats? Um, I think my why is because, you know, my community is still facing these injustices. And if I'm not able to speak out, if my community is not able to speak out, we're going to continue being oppressed and um, continue having these injustices be plaguing our community for decades, right? And so nothing will ever be done uh, and we will never get justice. And I think that's something that keeps me pushing. And I, I have a life motto in saying like, you know, um, I will never let anything, uh, whether it be obstacles or adversity, stop me from doing what I want to do or what I love to do. And I stay with that so much. And, and that's my why. It's like, this is the reason why I do it. You know, um, these people, um, you know, who are sending me these things, you know, um, I wish them luck, but I think um, at the end of the day, I can't stop that from happening, right? You're always going to get pushback from every direction. Um, and and it also gives me the, the you know, kind of energy to, to keep pushing, you know, to keep pushing um, and to keep, to keep, you know, to keep going without having this be a distraction and worrying about what might happen to me. Um, millions of people have already died um by the hands of climate change and by the hands of all these injustices and so what's to say that you know i'm i'm doing a disservice because i got a death threat you know of like someone sending a death threat um and i stopped my activism i stopped using my voice and i just let this continue to happen right um they have won and i don't want them to win um i rather have our communities win i rather have my community win. I rather have the planet win, and so um, that's. I think that's a reason why I continue to do what I do and uh, continue to be outspoken. 
um yeah I, I just don't let this noise i just I, I think of it as noise uh yes it's pushback but I, I think of it as just noise and um you know blocking that off and just really protecting my energy and who i am and um and just continuing um so yeah it may be scary um but there are you know i'm i'm with a community that is protecting me and i'm protecting them in the best way that i can um and just i keep going Wow. Well, hey, I tell you what, I, I applaud you for the work you're doing. Honestly, you are an inspiration to me. And that's where I want to transition to because oftentimes whenever I meet you, I will hype you up in the most extreme ways possible. <laughs> I will say, Kevin, I can't believe I'm talking to you. This is so cool. And yeah, in a way, you do deserve that hype because you have done it. You have made a difference in people's lives and I respect that. And that's where I want to talk about one of action because you this is an organization you founded where you want to give young people the resources to succeed uh, want them to be able to be change makers and i've brought in many guests on the in the past to talk and they're all young people particularly the gen z generation to be able to and the common question is how are you able to let yourselves be known because in a world you're going to be told that you should be taking the seat hey you you'll be you'll be there in the future but not right now I'd love to know more about what one up action means, not just the background behind the organization, but what one up one up means in general. And given that you are someone who is very you are someone who has led climate change protests in the state of California, um, do you feel like be having creating this organization really propelled you into becoming a leader of some sort? Yeah, of course. Wow, that there are many questions and many directions that this question can go into. Um, I will start with, you know, I think why I believe in young people, right? Um, uh, and that notion of like, well, we, we, you know, we will have our time in the future, right? And in that sense, um, I, I call that bullshit because um, <laughs> our generation is coming up with the solutions. They're innovators. They are creatives. They are just amazing amazing talented you know young people who are doing what the you know what is needing to be done now to really make the difference in our communities and the world for both the people on the planet right and um so when i hear this like oh well we'll have our time well you know young people don't deserve a voice right now in government no that's completely you know bs um we um you know from from that you know kind of that mentality um, leads into you know me wanting to say well young people are, are not just the leaders of today they're the leaders of tomorrow and you know tomorrow and today you know and so um, and I've I've been you know saying that so much to in in front of young uh, in front of the young leaders and as well as in front of um, politicians and a lot of the times politicians love using that same notion of like, yes, young leaders are of today, the leaders of today and of tomorrow. And how are we integrating young people into these conversations, into the decision-making tables? And some of the times it just doesn't happen. And so um, it's up to us as young people to make sure that it does happen and continue using our voices. Um, and one instant, I'm just gonna do a tangent here. It's like, um, I saw many young people at the height of 2019 when the first climate strikes happened here in California, especially in Los Angeles, how, how many young people were coming from two or three hours uh, from different cities to Los Angeles 
to strike on, on behalf of climate and behalf of their communities. And I had a lot of conversations with many of them. And I was just very saddened because I knew that they didn't have a voice within their own community. And I asked them, why, why aren't you able to strike in your own community? Um, and a lot of the answers was just, they just don't have the opportunity to, or they don't have that, you know, there's not that much of a momentum there. They don't have a voice there. Um, and they have to travel so far to have their voices heard. And um, and that, that led me to, like, how can we have every voice heard? And LA County is, you know, here in the United States, it's the most powerful local, you know, government in our nation. Um, whatever LA County does, a lot of other counties, a lot of other cities follow suit. LA County is not just one city. It's not just LA City. It's 88 cities. Um, and so uh, with that, you know, I worked with my good friend, Delaney Michelson. Uh, her and I got to pass the first ever Youth Climate Commission, becoming the first ever in the nation, first ever in the world, never done before, to give young people um, a power to utilize their voices, not only on policy, but for their communities to make a difference, right? And also look at creating new policies and new motions on behalf of climate sustainability um, and, you know, injustice. Um, and so, and that, you know, I, I just became a commissioner for the Youth Climate Commission just recently. And so, and that's giving a voice to young people. But going to one of the action and why one of the action exists is that the same year in 2019, from all, all that happened, all those conversations of doing the strikes, rallies, and marches, I saw a tendency of like, yes, one, it's all done and said, right? When the strikes and rallies and marches are all done, what are we doing? We're just going back to our communities. Are we actually taking action within our communities? Are we making the difference within our own communities and making sure that our communities get justice? And I wanted to fix that. You know, it's like when we're done with the striking, when we're done with the rallying, when we're utilizing our voices, when we're, you know, doing the act activism and um, advocacy on the streets, when we're done with that, when we go back to our communities, we should also step up our action or one up our action. And I think that's where the name comes from. Um, is that we have to one-up our action within our communities. Um, and so that's kind of where one-up action started. It's like, let's, you know, start a coalition, start an international movement of young people, really kind of when they're done with their climate strikes, when they're done with their um, advocacy on the streets or utilizing their voices to go back into their own communities and take action um, and really move the needle on climate and climate solutions. And we've kind of transitioned from that to being very, um, uh, you know, concise or consolidated instead of just focusing on all the activists, right? We consolidated to a solutionist. And um, so now we're launching three new programs that are very consolidated to focusing on the solutionists that are, um, um, you know, kind of implementing and accelerating climate solutions um, on a, you know, not only in their own communities, but in neighboring communities and using those as case studies for local governments and governments in general to say, well, if we can do it here, then you can do it on a much higher level, right? And so just pushing that um, narrative of like, we need to start implementing climate solutions. So we've gone from focusing on all climate activists in 40 different, 30 different countries, um, with over 5,000, 4,000 young people, um, a part of our networks to really kind of consolidating and really focusing on this, those solutionists who are really making that, um, you know, difference to push, push us where we need to be at. Um, 
And so that's, you know, the journey of one of action of like why it came to be, um, to be, to not only be a platform for those who never had a platform before um, and also make sure that we're focusing on marginalized um, and BIPOC people, so Black, Indigenous, people of color, because that was also something that really kind of was lacking um, and it still is, um, but it's getting better, right? Where a lot of more, a lot more of our voices are included. Before I let you go, um, you as a climate change activist, everyone has the goal of spreading awareness of this issue, and also living in a world where climate change is no longer a problem. And you are someone that not only wants to make sure that that doesn't become a problem in the future, but also you want to be able to say, hey, marginalized communities are being affected and need to help them. And then also not only that, but inspire the next generation of people that it doesn't have to be someone who, like, when it comes to like looks or how they look, it's like, we shouldn't judge them for like your ideal person. It's that anyone can make a difference. It doesn't matter where they're from or who, where they're from or who they are. For you in an ideal world, what does that look like for you? Like, do you think we'll, in, in whether it's maybe in your lifetime or after, what kind of world do you hope to envision? Whether it's it's about climate change activism or just activism in general, what kind of world do you hope that we could live in someday? And do you think it will be possible in your in your lifetime or do you think after your lifetime? You know, I'm a very optimistic person. I believe in young people too much. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I say too much is because they're already doing the work. They're already doing everything that needs to be done. You know, there's millions of us that are utilizing our voices and speaking out against injustices happening on multiple levels, on multiple issues. And so I'm very optimistic in the fact that we will get the world that we want. Um, and what that ideal world will look like for me is that we don't, we no longer have to be activists. I do believe that it will happen in my lifetime, not the next, right? Um, and so I think, you know, I, I just, I, I, I believe in the power of young people. I believe in the power of Generation Z. I believe in um, the power of just young people in general who are working on multiple fronts to really kind of get us justice, get us, um, you know, move the needle um, to an equitable and um, really just world. And I, I don't know, I, I feel, I find always like, what does the world look like, you know? Um, I, I always say, you know, one simple answer is a world without activism, one where communities are not plagued with injustice, one where communities are able to live in unoppressed, you know, um, you know, don't have to worry about the systems of oppression or anything that, you know, kind of causes these things to happen. So I think I do believe that young people are, are making a lot of a lot of strides in these directions to get us where we need to get at. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm like tripping up on this question because it's like, um, it's a simple answer, but it's also something that I'm like, well, you know, what will our world look like in the next 30, 40 years? I may never be able to tell you what it looks like, but I can tell you that I'm very optimistic about it because I do see so many people taking actions I, I see these amazing young people who are creating the solutions uh, for the future and for that are being implemented now. And, and I think that's what makes me very optimistic about the future is that I, I can see it, you know, I can see what it, what it can look like only if we continue to, you know, utilizing our voices, sorry, only if we continue to utilize our voices and continue making um, 
you know, continue making these connections of the issues that are going on in our communities um, and making sure that we're actually implementing the solutions to solve them. Um, and so, yeah, for anyone that is getting involved with activism or wants to be an activist, you just have to utilize your voice, you know? Um, and that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing that I always say is that if you want to imagine a world free of injustices, use your voice, see what injustice or what issues going on in your community and use, you know, use your voice, call your congressman or congresswoman or congressperson, um, uh, you know, write a letter to your local city council. Um, you know, there are many action steps that you can take to make a difference. It, it, it's not that hard, you know, to make a difference, to make a change. Um, and I think, you know, you kind of forgot to ask, you know, what, what does it mean to be an activist or what does it mean to be an advocate? I, I always say everyone can be an activist, an advocate. You know, you just have to use your voice. I always use those words interchangeably because I think um, it's not that hard. You know, it's like everyone wants to, this world, you know, I've been an activist for 11 years now. And um, I, ha I have a lot of faith that, you know, with everyone utilizing their voices and doing um, as many actions as they can, um, you know, we can truly make the change that we want to see. And I have seen a lot of change happen. And so that's also why I'm really optimistic about the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years um, and even the future. So, you, yeah. you are one of the most inspiring people I've met. And I, and I have to tell you, when you are when you meet people who look like you as like like uh, being South Asian, when you're seeing South young South Asian people in the front lines and something, it is really special to, special to see. And honestly, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for being a champion for for uh, young people. I know oftentimes it may they, people you might not get that back because we talked about the death threats and everything. But the fact that you are still saying like, hey, look, yes, there are bad apples, but at the end of the day, majority of the people want to see want to make the world a better place. Thank you for being a part of that. And I'm really excited to see what's in store for the future. And I hopefully, I know you are South Asian, so I have to say this. I hope we do meet in person at a curry restaurant. Um, it can be any curry restaurant, but um, yeah, I really hope we can one day just eat curry together and talk about life. Let's do it. I can't wait. And thank you so much for having me as a guest on this podcast. I can't wait for it to come out. And um, yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you saw, feel free to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at the OMCG podcast for more information on guests, preview clips, and more. Thank you guys for continuing to support this podcast, and I hope to see you guys in the next episode.